When you trust that you're loved, when you trust that your humanity is actually a gift and a goodness, that way before there were problems, humans had problems, there was this pronouncement, very good. Uh, when you live out of that, you treat people differently. Hi, I'm Mark Smeeby, and welcome to Saving My Faith. I don't know about you, but my faith has taken quite a beating over the years. But in spite of all that I've been through, I still want to hang on to my faith. I still want to be a spiritual person, and I still want to understand more clearly what it means to be a Christian. My experience has shown that organized religion can be messy and painful and leave people feeling bruised and neglected like they don't have any place to go. Many people have been told, you're a mistake. You're not good enough to hang out with us. You don't have it all together like we believe you should. I'm here today to tell you that there is still a place for you. There are still communities of people all over the place that are committed to loving and caring for people in ways that maybe you've never experienced. There's still so much in Christianity that I believe could truly revolutionize our world. And I, I want to help fight through the clutter and find the really good stuff. That's why I'm doing this podcast. I want to save my faith and maybe help save yours too. My guest today is pastor and author Josh Scott. Josh pastors Grace Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee. I am fascinated by how knowledgeable Josh is about the Bible and how he finds super compelling ways to reveal new insights about Jesus in the scriptures. He's also very funny and deliciously irreverent in ways that I really get behind. Grace Point's website says they are an inclusive spiritual community seeking to live out a more just and generous Christianity. They think that faith is less about doctrines and dogmas demanding total agreement and more about a life to be lived, enjoyed, and shared with others. What unites them is a growing awareness that life is a gift and love is the point. They want to learn how to love better and share that with the world. They welcome the entire human family, regardless of race, age, creed, physical abilities, marital or economic status, gender identity, or sexual orientation. These are all things I can totally get behind, but I know Josh and his church gets a lot of slack from people who feel they aren't doing Christianity right. I want to get the inside scoop on Josh's story and see if they really are up to something nefarious. I'm pretty sure they're not. Thanks for listening today. Josh, it's so great to have you here with me, of course. It's so nice to meet you finally after after seeing you on Twitter for so long. But before we dive into like you and, and all your stuff going on, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I actually lived in Nashville for 25 years. I don't know if you knew that. I even went to Grace Point for a short period of time. I call it probably version 2.0. And I think you're, are you 3.0 right now? Or I'm not like... <laughs> it depends on who you ask. There's some people who it's like it's 6, 7, 8.0. Um, <laughs> So I understand. It's a, it's a different iteration for sure. Yeah, yeah. So then I moved away, and then all of a sudden I found you on Twitter, and I was like, wow, who's this new kid? You know, he looks like he's, you know, 20 years old. And obviously, <laughs> thank and you. You're welcome. But, and he's been a pastor for two decades. And it's like, who is this guy? And I just developed a great respect for who you are and, and um, the work that you do. Um, so I want to find more about that. And, and through all of this, give some encouragement to some people that maybe feel like, there isn't a place for them in in this in the 
the church world, uh, because it appears that you've done a tremendous job of, of making a safe place for a lot of people. So where did, where did you come from? Oh, well, first, thanks for having me. I doing podcasts, like chatting on podcasts, one of my favorite things. And I have such an appreciation for what you're doing with this podcast. So I'm honored. I'm honored to be here. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I'm from the Appalachian region. I'm from the Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia border town. Um, my dad was from the West Virginia side. My mom was from the Kentucky side. It was a real, okay. you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm from both places. Okay. Um, and I grew up, you know, in a holler in Eastern Kentucky, going to a free will Baptist church that my grandfather pastored. Um, and eventually after he passed away, we had this big liberal move and we went to a Southern Baptist church. Whoa. That tells you kind of what the free old Baptist church was like. You know, I, I grew up King James only that whole, that whole thing. Um, you know, you could lose your salvation, like you lose your car keys. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I started preaching when I was 16 or 17 years old, I'm 40 now, I'll be 41 this year. So I got my start though, doing the preaching circuit in every holler and nook and cranny and every you know tiny little church that had two people show up i was willing to go and preach and so i just sort of started in that in that way um and of course over time experiences and learning and all that began to shift how i saw the world and how i saw the bible and as a result how i saw theology and what it meant for me to be able to still be a christian uh, which I, I found out on Twitter from some people this morning. I'm not, but I, oh. I, and I told them, I was like, well, well, here I am. And I am. <laughs> so, oh. uh, yeah, uh, that, you know, I, I just, I'm sort of, uh, been this person who started out kind of in an unlikely place to end up where I've ended up. That's incredible. I, I can't even, I can't even fathom the, um, kind of the family dynamics that must have just been like ingrained in you from a super young age and this kind of this, um, even a performance kind of mentality that was put in you like before you were even an adult, really, you know, like get up there and be awesome for Jesus, Josh, right? Yeah, it means, you know, Southern Baptist, you know, lots of denominations have uh, criteria for what makes a person able to stand up in front of a church and sort of say, thus saith the Lord, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Southern Baptists don't have that. Like, it's it's sort of the, at the pastor and the deacons and the church's discretion. And so looking back, I'm grateful. In some ways, I'm grateful that I started so young because I was able to make a lot of mistakes and learn. And I'm still making a lot of mistakes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. learn, like preaching, like call, figuring out how I preach, figure yeah. out what my what my delivery is and all of that. But yeah. also I just said a lot of things that now looking back, I didn't know what I was talking about. I was either parroting something that I'd heard or I was just saying something that probably was just flat out out of left field wrong that I just decided when I was studying the Bible in my bedroom before school. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there was, you know, there was that sense of, you know, 17, 18, I had my first church job at my home church. I was the interim pastor there when I was 19 years old. Whoa. And, and and so there does, you know, there is that sort of probably too young to be in a fishbowl. Like you don't even know what you're doing in the world. So how, why are you telling other people what they should be doing in the world? Mm-hmm. So it was a double-edged sword in some, I mean, it was, it was, a, there was good, there were good bits of it. I'm grateful. I mean, that I'm 40 years old and I've been in this for 25 years. That That's a lot. Right. Yeah. But also like, sometimes I lament my youth, you know what I mean? Yeah. What, what would you tell that 
little little guy, what would you tell him? Um, you know, knowing what you know now, knowing, having experienced what you've seen, what you know about the Bible now, like what what advice would you give that little kid? I think about that sometimes. Like, I actually live now where I used to live as a little kid, and like sometimes oh, this is not creepy at all. But sometimes I'll drive by that house. And just kind of look to see if maybe like little Mark kind of comes out, you know, like a, yeah. in those movies I've seen. And yeah. uh, like, what yeah. would I tell that kid? Like, how would I just, you know, give him some grace and some love? Uh, have you thought about that? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, backpack through Europe, um, go to that party, <laughs> try a beer, um, relax. Uh, don't don't take yourself so seriously. Mm. You're gonna change your mind on all of this. So all the big principled stands you're making right now and insulting your friends who don't, you know, aren't as deep as you are and don't right. quote unquote know as much as you do. Yeah. You're going to really be embarrassed about that in 30 years. So just relax a little bit mm -hmm. and be a kid. And, you know, you'll, there's plenty of time for you to be stressed out. Um, so just, just chill. Mm -hmm. That's great. <laughs> I'm receiving that today. <laughs> and you're really, really safe. You're really, really safe. You, you, you've kind of been led to believe your whole life that there is no safety and nothing is safe. And, and that you're, you're always sort of having to look over your shoulder to make sure you're keeping God happy. That's not a thing. You're safe. Whoa. Now, now you're getting into heresy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't take me long. <laughs> no, I love that because I feel like that truly is the actual gospel message. You know, that we are loved, that we are held, that we are safe, that we're cherished, that we're delighted in, you know, uh, that it's not this, you know, like, oh my gosh, I got to keep looking over my shoulder for um, what I'm not doing right or what I'm doing wrong. It's, it's uh, man, very, very stressful um, as a kid, but also as an adult. And I know there's somebody listening right now that's going, but, I, but I've been told I'm supposed to be this way. I'm told I'm supposed to be kind of stressed out about all this. <laughs> That's not the good yeah. news, is it? It's interesting what people will say and then call it good news. Um, and I think it depends on to, you know, the, the hermeneutic, right? The, the lens through which we, most of us were trained that grew up like I did, or maybe like you did, we were given was like, the question was, how do I make sure that I stay out of trouble and get into heaven when I die? Right, exactly. I've traded that lens in. Um, and the lens I look through now is what would lead to human flourishing? Be mm. Because I don't think that anything that would lead to actual human flourishing is anti the message of Jesus. What leads to us becoming our most thriving, whole, beautiful, engaged, um, you know, it's sort of like what Jesus says in John, right? That I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly, have it overflowing. Yeah. And I don't mean that in the prosperity gospel sense, right? That's, right. There's a whole, there's a whole way you can take that. That's like, well, if it doesn't feel good, it can't be good or something, mm. or God wants me to be, you know, happy and rich and all that. But I do think there's a certain sense of if I am thriving as a human being, if I'm in touch with who I really am, if I am living out of a sense of, not uh, not fr frantic, like trying to get God on my side, but living out of this sense of God loves me, I'm the beloved of God, then whatever leads me to become my most flourishing self is probably some, some path we should follow. I love that. And I subscribe to that as well, uh, because I, 
for me, like you live long enough, like that one way that that kind of fear driven, um, shame driven, scorekeeping way. And for me, I kind of woke up mid midlife going, really, is this all it's supposed to be? Like, it doesn't get any better than this. And, and that's where I was like, okay, God, there's got to be a better way. And that's when I started to go, okay, what is this concept of, you know, love? Like, what does it mean to be loved? <laughs> and then to actually love each other. And, you know, the greatest commandments of all are centered on this very command of love. And um, so I, I want to learn more how to love myself, which is self-flourishing, as you're talking about human flourishing of myself, but then yep. how, can, how can I then help other people flourish as, as well? And uh, how, how has that changed over the years for you, like being a pastor, like as you become aware of like maybe certain things that you had said that weren't leading to flourishing and then kind of changing some things to maybe where you see that then, wow, I can see f human flourishing in this point. Yeah. I'll just say, I'm really glad that, that the internet and social media didn't exist like it does today when I started out. I'm glad that nobody was putting those sermons online. There are cassette tapes somewhere that I would love to get and burn for sure <laughs> and pretend never happened. But, you know, I think it actually creates more empathy and more drive in me now to make sure that I'm actually giving people good news. Yes. Because I know that I am culpable for the harm of other human beings hmm. through bad theology that was harming me, that other people had handed me and I, you know, and that other people had handed them. And like that, there's, you know, not anybody in my timeline that's, I think, been sitting nefariously somewhere going like, yes, it's, <laughs> yeah. the plan is working. We've ruined all our lives. <laughs> so I think it, it's just a drive for me to make sure that, um, I'm announcing actual good news to people, um, reminding them that they're who they are and is not a mistake, um, that their humanity isn't in the way. And actually wherever they, they'll meet God in their humanity. I think that's if the incarnation, the idea of incarnation teaches us anything, it's that if you want to find the divine, look no further than the human, mm. um, because that's where you'll, that's where you'll meet it. And so um, it, it just gives me this drive to make sure people whoever's listening to me, um, that I'm taking care, that I'm being really focused and deliberate with the language I use, just so people actually hear good news. Right. Um, because they heard not so good news. That I, at the time, I'll be honest, I was preaching things when I was a teenager in, early, in my early 20s that I didn't think were good news. I just thought that's how it was. Yeah. Come to find out that's not exactly how it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to go back to what you just said about how we can see the divine in each other. I mean, that sounds like it, that's one of those things that can be interpreted one way and sound really crazy. And then in another way, really beautiful. Cause there's times when you meet somebody, um, particularly in person where you say, wow, I really felt God, you know, like I really felt that, that connection. And it's like, you saw the divine in each other. You saw the goodness, you saw the authenticity that is rooted in, in the Imago Dei, if you will, mm -hmm. <laughs> the image of God. Uh, but other people would say, well, no, don't look to other people for the divine. Just look to Jesus. How can we justify, like, I'm trying to think about kind of where I, where I came from and where you came from, but how can we justify saying that we can find God in so many more places than we thought we could find God originally? It used to be, right, just the Bible, right? Scripture, and then, you know, prayer, 
and then Sunday morning, and then probably Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, you know, at, at whatever your services are. That's where you see God, right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, first of all, I think in, in the early pages of the Bible, you have God scooping up dirt and breathing into it. And so whatever it means to be human in the tradition of the scripture is to be in a mixture of dirt and divine breath, soil and spirit, right? Mm. We are a com combination of the two things. Love that. The other thing I would say is I, I think because I, when you, when we talk like this, people will say, well, look at all the back. Like I'm, I, I've gone down the rabbit hole of true crime podcasts. Like <laughs> every time, like I'm home alone right now and every creek in the house, I'm like, okay, it's happening. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, when, when we think about the terrible thing, when we look at what's happening right now uh, and this uh, Russian aggression against this war against Ukraine and the atrocities that are happening, in the world and, and, and the atrocities are happening in small towns all, like people are harming other people what we see there though is not humans being human i mean we always say that well i'm only human as if that's the bar is really low for us right i actually right. don't think that's the case i think what's happening when you see that is we're actually not being human we're being subhuman we're behaving in in a way that is beneath our humanity we're failing to recognize the humanity in ourselves. And when we fail, when we are when we are set against our own humanity, when somehow being human is the problem and we need to get out of this, you know, which is sort of the problem with a lot of uh, modern theology, which is it's all about the role being called up yonder and I'll fly away. And it's this, you know, get out of here. Right. When we do that, though, when we dehumanize ourselves, we have no other recourse but to dehumanize other people. Right? It's why loving your like loving your neighbor has to happen as yourself, because it begins with when you trust that you're loved, when you trust that your humanity is actually a gift and a goodness, that way before there were problems, humans had problems, there was this pronouncement, very good. Yes. Uh, when you live out of that, you treat people differently. Um, because, yes, some of the worst things that have happened in history, like all of the worst things that have happened in history have been channeled through human beings. Yeah. All the best things that have happened in history have also come through human beings. I love that. And so I, what I see in Jesus is not a one-off, not a, look, this is the, this is it. What I see in Jesus is sort of the prototype. Like, this is who we can be, right? It's Jesus saying in John to the disciples, um, you know, you're going to do greater things than I've done. So it, it's, it's. I think sometimes we use humanity as an excuse when it's actually our greatest gift. If we we'll, if we choose to see it and receive it and trust our belovedness and then begin to live out of that in the way we move and operate in the world. That's fantastic. When I think about um, who am I at my most authentic self, there's no fear. There's no like shame or self-hatred. There's no desire to manipulate other people. Um, I'm not trying to, um, prove myself to anybody, you know, it literally is a place where I have nothing to prove and I have nothing to lose. And at my core, I can, without all those like other, I call them barnacles that kind of get attached to my authenticity without those, I can just simply be love. Like I can be the love of God. Uh, and I can receive it more clearly too, but I can then give it more freely to other people. I'm, and that's been a, a, a obviously a lifelong journey for me. I'm curious if you don't mind saying personally, like how is your journey towards 
learning how to love yourself. Has that ever, has that been a problem or has that just kind of been a, something that like, yeah, I get it. I, I can love myself. You know, Jesus said it, I believe it. It settles it for me. <laughs> no, I'm, you know, I, I think I have always, the, the voice of the inner critic still looms large sometimes for me. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that we are all, so, many of us are sort of socialized in a way. Again, if we're totally depraved and we're terrible, then having any sort of self-esteem or any sort of value of what you've done, like you can't even, somebody can't even tell you good job on doing something without you going, it's all God, right. it's all God, right? As opposed to, you know, well, thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I worked really hard on that. Thank you. I appreciate yes, exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. Um, and so, no, I don't think it comes natural when you were raised like I was raised in that environment. Right. When you were talking just then about your authentic self, it reminded me, and of course, this is what happens when you talk to somebody who's a, a Bible nerd. My, my brain goes there. Bring it. Um, you know, the story in Genesis three, where the human beings eat the fruit and they, their eyes are open, they're naked and they cover up. Like, if you understand the, the knowledge of good and evil, if we understand that to mean deciding what is good and evil, meaning decide, like judging, judging. Yeah. If it's judging, it may, it's really clear why, why those first humans, and I don't take that story literally, but you, you know, like, let's enter into it as if it were. Yeah. I totally get why they would hide and cover up. Because now, I mean, it's the whole reason we all had the dream about showing up to school in our underwear and being mortified, right? Like now suddenly you're standing there and there's something about standing vulnerably in front of other people and then them judging you for it. It's people showing up at the singing competition and belting their heart out and being told that was really terrible, right? It's just that. So we instinctively are taught, like we got to figure out how we got to put all these protective layers on because it's not yeah. safe because other people aren't safe right. because I know what I'm thinking about them. So I bet you they're thinking it about me. And it really seems like the, the path toward, you know, whatever the word salvation means in part, it's, it's a healing and a coming back to a new kind of vulnerability. Yes. Um, and that's, it goes against every survival instinct we have. Yes. Um, but what's also true is, you know, I think back as a species and there was a point when, really clear boundaries, knowing where our hunting territory ends or where our field ends and then the neighboring peoples begins, that th those really clear boundaries and that, that sort of defensive posture really helped our species survive. But now that thing that helped us survive is the very thing that's threatening us, is that defensiveness and that willingness to do whatever it takes to, to you know, preemptively attack them, whether it's on Twitter or geopolitically. And, yeah. and I, I think it's true also about this vulnerability, right? Like it, it protected us at one point, maybe, but we're not going to become our fullest, most flourishing self. And I don't say this as a person who's, you know, completely taken off the fig leaves and silenced the inner critic and is so vulnerable now. I say this as a person who really wants to be, but struggles with it, just like I would say most of us do. Same here. Absolutely. This makes me think about this, um, I love the book title by uh, Pete Enns, The Sin of Certainty. Yeah. And I feel like this, this certainty that was so integral in, this, in the religious upbringing that we've had, like that that is a way of saying, I'm not going to be vulnerable because I'm certain. And, and what we do with our certainty then is we're putting up walls and becoming more judgment, judgmental towards people who aren't as certain as we are or don't subscribe to the same beliefs that we do. Um, 
how how can we as spiritual beings um, let go of that kind of need for certainty because so much of like um, uh, how we were raised was like you mu- you must be certain. Yeah, well, I would say that the tr- the way I was most of us, I would say most of us now that we, I, I sometimes meet people who had just the best religious upbringings yeah, and they have no yeah. baggage and like I don't know what's wrong with you people. Um, <laughs> for lots of us though, um, fear and certainty were the two things we were handed. That's what our traditions gave us, fear and then certainty. Uh, fear you don't need and certainty you can't have. And so we were handed something we don't need and something we can't have. Um, I think part of it too is uh, Marcus Borg has this great line about the way so many religious pe- religious institutions operate. It's like the most important thing to God is what you think in your brain, yes. not what you're actually doing in the world. Yes. And I think that would have been foreign to Jesus and the people who knew him. And so I think, um, like I watch it happen on social media, right? I'll, I'll post some stuff that some people take as provocative. I really am not intending to be provocative. I actually just want to, like, I'm offering content for people who um, desperately, uh, they, they've been so maybe harmed and wounded by the, the church. Yes but they feel grief around it because there's something there that they miss. Mm. And I want to help them find access and have a way back that can be healing. Yes. But for some people, they are so upset because they, you know, and they're like, you're, you're in, you're on thin ice. You're in big trouble here. You're, you're tiptoeing up. Like God's going to get really upset over something. I think more than the way I actually treat other people in the world. And so I think, we need certainty if we believe that at the core of what God is, God is really obsessed with what's in our brains. Yes. And I think what God most cares about is how we actually show up in the world. Now, I do think what's in our brains can affect how we show up in the world. Absolutely. So there is a process. Um, but, you know, I've heard several people say it. I know Richard Rohr is one of them. We, like, we don't think our way, ourselves into new ways of being. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. That's great. For those of us who grew up with that sort of certainty is the point, because if you're not certain, then when you stand before God someday and God is doing the inventory of your brain and what you have given intellectual assent to, there may be something wrong in there. I promise you whatever that means to stand before God, I don't know what that looks like, but whatever that looks like, I will leave this world wrong about a lot of things. If I knew what they were, I would change them right now. And I know there's a lot of people trying to tell me what they are. Uh, I'm just not convinced that those are the things. <laughs> my, my assumption is if I'm wrong, and I know I am about some things, it's because I haven't gone far enough. I haven't given into love enough. Mm. It's not that my understanding of God is too generous. It's not generous enough, if that makes sense. Mm. Absolutely, it does. The great irony to me is that we we tout faith as this great gift that we're given from God and also kind of a thing that we aspire to uh, living out. But then faith kind of flies in the face of certainty, doesn't it? I mean, like, if you're certain about something, it requires no faith. Right. I am finding so much sweetness living in this place of actual faith where I say, like you did, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what happens when I die or when you die or when grandma dies. I don't know. What I do know is that Jesus is asking me to be a vessel of love, to bring about change here on earth, to maybe, in fact, bring heaven here to earth. And uh, that, that's radical um, to some people. 
but I think a lot more would subscribe to that kind of good news if they knew that was an option. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think the, the line in scripture where the father says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. Um, and there's even this great line, you know, at the at what we call the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, um, where Jesus meets the disciples. There's this line that says, in most translation, it says, some worshiped and some doubted. That's actually not what the text says. The text says they worshiped and doubted. <laughs> yes. That's me. Right. Yes. So we, we, have, <laughs> we have set up this, like if there's any sort of lack of know that you know that you know in you, that you're somehow disappointing to God and you're not enough when actually that's how can we be anything other than I really, I, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm there, but there's also all these questions and doubts and th there's been space for those from the beginning. And th th I think the problem is well, we have a whole branch of Christian theology called apologetics um, right. where they're trying to prove things to people and you cannot prove intangibles you cannot prove faith the only thing you can do like i love when again more bible i love when john the baptist asked jesus are you the one or should we send somebody else jesus doesn't start quoting he just he quotes scripture but not the ones we would quote he says well people are being set free they're being liberated there's healing happening good news is being preached to the poor you tell me right it's it's not this like yes and here are 10 proofs that i'm the messiah from scripture right no the kingdom of God is coming. So you tell me if this is what you think it is or not. Yeah. And there's something, yeah. I, you know, I'm a firm believer. The only kind of apologetics the Christian faith needs is the ones where we say, I'm really sorry. We've really messed this thing up a lot. We've harmed a lot of people. We've traumatized a lot of people. We're, we're sorry. And we want to do better. And so we'll listen to you and we'll respond and we'll, we'll reframe and we'll reimagine because some of the ways and some of the things we've held, the way we've held them has, has brought not heaven to earth, but hell. You're listening to Saving My Faith. I'm Mark Schmeby, and I'm so glad you decided to check out my podcast. We're having a conversation today with Josh Scott, pastor and author from Nashville, Tennessee. He pastors Grace Point Church a welcoming, inclusive, Bible-centric, gospel-driven church. And for some, I know those words don't usually go together, but it does in this case, and I'm so happy to tell you more about Josh and his church. I have the powerful conclusion of our conversation coming up in just about eight seconds, so stick around for that. If you'd like to find out more information about us here at Saving My Faith, please visit savingmyfaith.com. I'm sure you see that on a daily basis, um, whether it's like people that were like, oh, pastor, can I please have coffee with you? I, I never knew that there would be a, a church like yours where I could actually um, not just be like welcome to come sit on the pew, but like be on staff. What? You know, like <laughs> like you are you are providing a safe place for people. It, it says um, on your website, it says that. Your conviction for inclusiveness is not based on specific loopholes or interpretations of ancient texts, but rather through a fresh, humble, and intellectually honest recognition of both our flawed history and our capacity to continually grow in our understanding of the world, ourselves, and of God. I know that I've heard so many um, criticisms of churches like yours, and I, I go to one as well here in Minneapolis. Um, why, do you, why do you think 
that people think that inclusive churches or quote progressive church, you know, labels are so so uh, weaponized these days. But mm-hmm. these in church, why do you think people think that inclusive churches have found these loopholes and are just giving people a license to live in sin? And it's kind of coded in this: we love you, we accept you, we affirm you. Well, my journey to being uh, affirming was a little different in the sense that it didn't begin with the Bible for me. And I think this happens with lots of people. It began with friends. Relationships. It, yes. it was experiences that then led me back to the text, which is exactly what happens to Simon Peter in Acts 10. He has this vision that then causes him to go back and experience, and he has to make sense of it through his story. And so, you know, um, so I, you know, I went back and engaged the clobber passages and said, I think they've been read wrong. And I think that's true. I, I think we have misunderstood. We're importing something we are starting to understand about human beings and sexuality today. And we're trying, you know, people try to import that same lens and say, that's exactly what they were talking about in scripture. They didn't have that lens. This is, this is, so I, I, you know, I think people have read the scriptures that way and use them as a club to clobber folks in the LGBTQ plus community. And that's just not at all what the scripture was talking about. It's talking about something else, but I'll go so far on the other side to say, I don't need the permission of the Bible to be affirming because my experience which I trust to be in this sense, you know, uh, there are moments when I was somebody, I was sitting down and somebody was coming out to me and I felt like I should take off my shoes because I was witnessing the reversal of the Genesis three story where somebody was able to say, actually, I'm going to be really vulnerable and honest. I'm going to trust you. And so many people do that. And they're met not with care and love and, and compassion and support. They're met with, Bible verses, right? But I, you know, as a Christian, as somebody who, um, um, maybe, maybe I don't know how they necessarily how they meant it for sure, but I, I would say I, I'm a person who follows Jesus. I have seen the Lord. I've experienced the raised up Christ. I, I believe that in my own story. Um, I believe the God, the same God who spoke, can still speak, and the God who led them past their boundaries and past what they thought possible is the same spirit who's calling us forward. And I think that's so clear around this issue of LGBTQ plus inclusion. So I don't discount the Bible. I'm happy to help people read it in a way that I think is more contextual. But I'm at the point in my journey where I don't need to chapter and verse this because I, you know, what, what is the line from scripture that my spirit bears witness with their spirit, right. that, yeah. that they too are part of this family and that they are growing in Jesus and they are they are actually doing the human flourishing thing. Right. Thank you for that. That is life changing. And I hope that somebody watching this right now is is given a tremendous amount of hope knowing that there are pastors like you out there and, and churches like Grace Point in Nashville and and the table here in Minneapolis and so many others, um, different different places all over the world. Um I'm thinking about um People that maybe are like, well, I'm, I don't identify as LGBTQ plus IA, but I've got my own like um, sin bag that I carry around with me that, that keeps me um, in a place of um, shame. It holds me down. Maybe it's an addiction. Um, maybe it's like horrible relationship history. But like to come into a situation like a church and to say, hey, bring that too. We're not afraid of that. And we actually believe that this is what the work of God does is like 
through our being together and through our understanding of God's love, that all these things in us can be transformed so that we can be more authentic. And, and, and please don't hear me saying that, like, bring your LGBTQ and we're going to change you into not being LGBTQ. But I, I, I know that whatever your identity is, there is baggage that we bring. When, you know, and, and I believe that God is a redeeming God. I've always wondered, and I've always wanted to ask a pastor like you, how do you encourage somebody on the redemption process to, towards healthiness with whatever they're bringing to the table. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the things I would say just, and I, I think that's what you're saying, but like one of the things I'll often say is I'm sure that that LGBTQ plus folks have some sort of whatever we call sin they're wrestling with. It's just that being LGBTQ plus isn't the sin. Isn't it? Yeah. The way I like to talk about it, the way I think about it in my own experience is it's just about the next right step. Um, I, I think we sort of have, and I remember like um, hearing all my life, like, you know what, all you really need is the altar. Like whatever you're, are you, are you struggling with an addiction? You need the altar. Are you struggling with doubt? You need the altar. Or is there a, a you know, are you feeling anxious? Well, just come down to the altar and pray and God will take it from you. And that's just really bad advice. I don't discount spiritual practice, but I think what most people get sold in that is an emotional experience that once that wanes, they're still left with what they walked in with. Yes. And so, you know, I'm not a therapist or a counselor and I make that really clear. So if uh, I always tell people, uh, I can provide you encouragement. I can give you, you know, answers, questions about faith as best or respond to them. I don't really answer because who knows if I'm right. Um, but what I, you know, I can recommend a therapist. I can, you know, or I can, you know, if it's whatever the problem is, if I can introduce you to some people here in our community who are also experiencing what you're experiencing, um, because I think that that human connection is so vital. Yes. And that so many of us are, are going through what we're going through alone. Yes. Which is the worst possible way to go through anything is alone. And so, you know, I, I just encourage whatever the next right step is, because you're not going to get it all right today. You're not going to solve the problem today. You're not going to be completely liberated from the thing today. It's, it's what is the next step towards human flourishing? I love that. Like envision the, envision the person you long to become and then say, what is one thing I can do right now yes. that would lead me into a little bit closer to that space and give yourself compassion and grace if tomorrow you take two steps back. Yeah. But I think that we've done a terrible job in, in humanity, maybe, but definitely in the Christian religion, Christian faith, of, you know, saying we're a place where people can come and be there, you know, be, bring their, all their stuff, right? All their stuff. But then when the altar doesn't fix it and they still have their stuff next week, we want to kick them out. And, and tell them, well, you didn't, you know, you just weren't genuine enough. You didn't believe it enough. You no, know, they're a human being in process, just like you and I are. And so let's make space for that. And obviously, I mean, there, there are all sorts of, all sorts of caveats, right? Like if somebody's got something going on that is really harmful to other people, like how do we, how do we protect and how do we like, there are all those. So I'm not yeah. saying it's easy. I'm not saying yeah. it's, yeah. it's human community is messy. Yes. But I generally, generally will just say like, what's the next right step? Yes. And, and let's do that today. And tomorrow we'll worry about that. Like not the next 10, not the next 15. Yes. Let's, and there may be a time when you can start to see that many steps ahead. I don't doubt it. Right. That's great. But today let's just begin where we are. I love that. I'm thinking that maybe that right next step for somebody might be, 
I'm not going to drink today. I can't say I'm not going to drink for the next 10 years or I don't even know what sobriety looks like, but I'm going to choose not to drink today. Uh, it, it also might be somebody that says, you know what, I'm going to call my friend and I'm going to tell them my story because I want somebody else to enter into this story that I've been carrying by myself. Um, and hopefully they, they can find a safe person to do that with. Um, it might mean reconciling with a friend. It might mean, you know what, I've held on to judgment or unforgiveness for way too long. Um, and maybe it's towards my uber conservative relative that has been, you know, brainwashed by a certain news channel. Maybe it's time for me to call them and say, you know what, I love you and I'm going to stop trying to change you. It's more important that we are in relationship than not that that might be the scariest thing somebody could do but but maybe this next right step is is just to kind of see humanity in ourselves and then choose to see it in another person and then move toward that person um believing the love yeah. of god can bring some redemption that's a great point there though because I, but it begins i think before we can see the humanity in them we have to see it in us yeah and i think in some ways when we aren't when we're sort of in that protective mode, in order to be able to embrace their vulnerability, we would have to be vulnerable. And when we get vulnerable, we would see in them what we're afraid of. Yes. And so, yeah, it may be going to a meeting. It may be yeah. calling a therapist and making an appointment. It may be, you know, there's a million ways to take that first little tiny step forward. It may just be calling somebody and saying, hey, I need to take a step and I don't know what the step is, but I just want to know you'll be there. Yeah. Um, because I, I've become convinced that when people say things like pray for me, I, I don't know that they actually expect us to go away and get on our knees. <laughs> yeah. And put, I think what they're actually saying is, will you please see me? Yes. I, I, I just feel like nobody sees me that I need people to see me right now because I'm going through a really, really terrible thing. And I feel lonely and I feel like there's no hope. And I just need somebody, I need to have eyes on me and not just me here, like the exterior, yeah. but that, the me that's in here, that's struggling. I need to know somebody sees it. Yeah. I think that's what, I think that's what that is. And I think that's what every human being wants so desperately is just to not be a ghost. Yes. I want to talk about something exciting. Like you have a book that's coming out. Is like, do you want to talk about that? Yes, I do have a book that I'm yes. in the process of writing. And it's it's been a lifelong dream. I hope it's the first of several yes. um, as the goal. But um, yeah, it's called Bible Stories for Grownups. And we're still tweaking the subtitle. It comes out April 4th of 2023. Um, and actually, when you emailed me about the, the interview, some stuff, it was the first time I'd ever seen my name and author side by side and yes. so I may, I may print out the email and yes. just and frame it because it was it was a really cool moment for me yeah that's awesome oh that's fantastic so we just have to wait like a, a year no biggie just a year yeah gives me time to actually you know write the thing uh, <laughs> what what would you say what's the premise uh i mean obviously i i know what the title is but how would you describe it the book is going to be reimagining um, six different stories that we've been handed one way. Um, and most of the stories actually shouldn't be told to children, um, but they were told to many of us as children. And we were given that lens through which to see them. Uh, and I actually think that if we bring a more, a more grown up lens that is asking questions about context and culture 
and and actually what's going on in the story and how this story is situated within the larger stories, the story of the Bible, that maybe we can begin to realize that some of these stories, which on the surface are super off-putting, were actually in their own way trying to move things forward a little bit, that maybe there's there's some lessons there. And so I'm, I'm so excited. I've done, actually, the first time I ever did a sermon series called Bible Stories for Grownups, it was like 2006 or seven. Okay. Um, and so it's super, super cool to have something that I've been doing for, you know, getting way too close to 20 years now uh, and sermons about every year, right? Trying to do one of them to be able to then turn that into something that I hope will help churches. And we're trying to do some stuff so pastors can do sermon series around it. And, you know, I just, uh, if it gives people a fresh look at the Bible, and if it de-weaponizes the Bible, yeah. which is what I hope will help, it'll help do. Yeah. Because again, I, I don't, I'm never going to tell anybody they should read the Bible every day because for some people that may be really, really painful and traumatic. But I will say if there are people who've lost the Bible and they grieve it, I want to help them have access to it in a new, with new eyes. It's not really a new way. I think this is how lots of people read the story years ago, but for so many of us, it'll be with new eyes. Awesome. I look forward to that. And uh, I look forward to people hearing this conversation and, um, just like I said, I know there's somebody kind of just in the in their secret moment right now, whether they're in their car or they're on a treadmill with their earphones in, and they're just hopefully feeling a, just a breath of fresh air to breathe for the first time and and um, hearing God say, hey, there's a place for you, and yeah. you are loved more than you could ever imagine, and you are important, and you are uniquely made so that you can offer that love and that compassion and your gifts to the world and it will become a better place when you do yeah yeah i hope so too i really yeah. do you're listening to the saving my faith podcast i'm mark smeeby and my guest has been pastor and author josh scott from grace point church in Nashville. man wasn't that a great conversation i so much enjoyed hanging out with josh and I want to just keep learning from him. I'm going to put in the show notes all the different places you can connect with Josh on his Twitter. He has a Substack newsletter that I subscribe to and also his church website. I hope today has been encouraging to you that if you have ever been told that there's something wrong with you, that you are not good enough, or that you need to get your act together, there are still places of grace, compassion, love, and mercy. And you are invited to step into those places And if you can't find one, maybe you can create one and provide that safe space for other people. I believe we've all been uniquely gifted for a specific purpose. And sometimes the hurt and the pain and the trauma we've been through make us more equipped to be compassionate and sensitive to other people who are going through that same thing. I look forward to hearing from you. You can leave a comment on the show page. You can visit the website savingmyfaith.com. You can also call me and leave a message. Here's the phone number, 612-466-0069. One more time, 612-466-0069. I'd love to hear if you found a story of hope and redemption, some way that you have found to hang on to your faith in spite of difficult situations. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to share these additional conversations that I'm having with some really cool people. I would love it if you could subscribe and like, comment and share and send to a friend and send up a flare in the air. Let people know about the Saving My Faith podcast. I really hope we can do a lot of good in this world. We're in this together. You're not alone. 
and you are deeply loved. We'll see you next time.